Chapter Nine of a Series of Lessons in Raja Yoga. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Series of Lessons in Raja Yoga by Yogi Ramacharaka. The Fourth Lesson: Mental Control, Part Two. Mental Drill and Exercises. Before we can get the mind to do good work for us, we must first tame it, and bring it to obedience to the will of the eye. The mind, as a rule, has been allowed to run wild, and follow its own sweet will and desires, without regard to anything else. Like a spoiled child or badly trained domestic animal, it gets into much trouble and is of very little pleasure, comfort, or use. The minds of many of us are like managers of wild animals, each pursuing the bent of its own nature, and going its own way. We have the whole managery within us, the tiger, the ape, the peacock, the ass, the goose, the sheep, the hyena, and all the rest and we have been letting these animals rule us. Even our intellect is erratic, unstable, and like the quicksilver to which the ancient occultists compared it, shifting and uncertain. If you will look around you, you will see that those men and women in the world who have really accomplished anything worthwhile have trained their minds to obedience. They have asserted the will over their own minds, and learned mastery and power in that way. The average mind chafes at the restraint of the will, and is like a frisky monkey that will not be taught tricks, but taught it must be if it wants to do good work. And teach it you must if you expect to get any use from it, if you expect to use it, instead of having it use you. And this is the first thing to be learned in Raja Yoga, this control of the mind. Those who had hoped for some royal road to mastery may be disappointed, but there is only one way, and that is to master and control the mind by the will. Otherwise it will run away when you most need it. And so we shall give you some exercise designed to aid you in this direction. The first exercise in Raja Yoga is what is called Pratyahara, or the art of making the mind introspective or turned inward upon itself. It is the first step toward mental control. It aims to turn the mind from going outward and gradually turning it inward, upon itself, or inner nature. The object is to gain control of it by the will. The following exercises will aid in that direction. Exercise 1. A. Place yourself in a comfortable position, and so far as possible, free from outside disturbing influences. 
make no violent effort to control the mind, but rather allow it to run along for a while and exhaust its efforts. It will take advantage of the opportunity and will jump around like an unchained monkey at first, until it gradually slows down and looks to you for orders. It may take some time to tame down at first trial, but each time you try, it will come around to you in shorter time. The yogis spend much time in acquiring this mental peace and calm, and consider themselves well paid for it. B. When the mind is well calmed down and peaceful, fix the thought on the I am, as taught in our previous lessons. Picture the I as an entity, independent of the body, deathless, invulnerable, immortal, real. Then think of it as independent of the body, and able to exist without its fleshly covering. Meditate upon this for a time, and then gradually drag the thought to the realization of the I as independent and superior to the mind and controlling same. Go over the general ideas of the first two lessons, and endeavor to calmly reflect upon them and to see them in the mind's eye. You will find that your mind is gradually becoming more and more peaceful and calm and that the distracting thoughts of the outside world are farther and farther removed from you. C. Then, let the mind pass on to a calm consideration of the third lesson, in which we have spoken of the oneness of all, and the relationship of the I to the one life, power, intelligence, being, you will find that you are acquiring a mental control and calm heretofore unknown to you. The exercises in the first three lessons will have prepared you for this. The following is the most difficult of the variations or degrees of this exercise, but the ability to perform it will come gradually. The exercise consists and gradually shutting out all thought or impression of the outside world, of the body, and of the thoughts themselves, the student concentrating and meditating upon the word and idea, I am, the idea being that he shall concentrate upon the idea of mere being or existence, symbolized by the words I am. Not, I am this, or I am that, or I do this, or I think that, but simply, I am. This exercise will focus the attention at the very center of being within oneself, and will gather in all the mental energies, instead of allowing them to be scattered upon outside things. A feeling of peace, strength, and power will result, for the affirmation and the thought back of it 
is the most powerful and strongest that one may make, for it is a statement of actual being, and the turning of the thought inward to that truth. Let the mind first dwell upon the word I, identifying it with the self, and then let it pass on to the word am, which signifies reality and being. Then combine the two with the meanings thereof, and the result a most powerful focusing of thought inward and most potent statement of being. It is well to accompany the above exercise with a comfortable and easy physical attitude, so as to prevent the distraction of the attention by the body. In order to do this, one should assume an easy attitude, and then relax every muscle, and take the tension from every nerve, until a perfect sense of ease, comfort, and relaxation is obtained. You should practice this until you have fully acquired it. It will be useful to you in many ways, besides rendering concentration and meditation easier. It will act as a rest cure for tired body, nerves, and mind. Exercise 2. The second step in Raja Yoga is what is known as Dharana, or concentration. This is a most wonderful idea in the direction of focusing the mental forces, and may be cultivated to an almost incredible degree. But all this requires work, time, and patience but the student will be well repaid for it. Concentration consists in the mind focusing upon a certain subject or object and being held there for a time. This, at first thought, seems very easy, but a little practice will show how difficult it is to firmly fix the attention and hold it there it will have a tendency to waver, and move to some other object or subject, and much practice will be needed in order to hold it at the desired point. But practice will accomplish wonders, as one may see by observing people who have acquired this faculty, and who use it in their everyday life. But the following point should be remembered. Many persons have acquired the faculty of concentrating their attention, but have allowed it to become almost involuntary, and they become a slave to it, forgetting themselves and everything else, and often neglecting necessary affairs. This is the ignorant way of concentrating, and those addicted to it become slaves to their habits instead of masters of their minds. They become daydreamers and absent-minded people, instead of masters. They are to be pitied as much as those who cannot concentrate at all. The secret is in a mastery of the mind. The yogis can concentrate at will, 
and completely bury themselves in the subject before them, and extract from it every item of interest, and can then pass the mind from the thing at will, the same control being used in both cases. They do not allow fits of abstraction or absent-mindedness to come upon them, nor are they daydreamers. On the contrary, they are very wide-awake individuals, close observers, clear thinkers, correct reasoners. They are masters of their minds, not slaves to their moods. The ignorant concentrator buries himself in the object or subject, and allows it to master and absorb himself, while the trained yogi thinkers asserts the eye, and then directs his mind to concentrate upon the subject or object, keeping it well under control and in view all the time. Do you see the difference? Then heed the lesson. The following exercises may be found useful in the first steps of concentration. A. Concentrate the attention upon some familiar object, a pencil, for instance. Hold the mind there, and consider the pencil to the exclusion of any other object. Consider its size, color, shape, kind of wood. Consider its uses and purposes, its materials, the process of its manufacture, etc., etc., etc. In short, think as many things about the pencil as possible, allowing the mind to pursue any associated bypaths, such as a consideration of the graphite of which the lead is made, the forest from which came the wood used in making the pencil, the history of pencils, and other implements used for writing, etc. In short, exhaust the subject of pencils, and considering a subject under concentration, the following plan of synopsis will be found useful. Think of the thing in question from the following viewpoints. 1. The thing itself. 2. The place from whence it came. 3. Its purpose or use. 4. Its associations. 5. Its probable end. Do not let the apparently trivial nature of the inquiry discourage you, for the simplest form of mental training is useful and will help to develop your will and concentration. It is akin to the process of developing a physical muscle by some simple exercise, and in both cases one loses sight of the unimportance of the exercise itself in view of the end to be gained. B. Concentrate the attention upon some part of the body, the hand, for instance, and fixing your entire attention upon it, shut off or inhibit all sensation from the other parts of the body. A little practice will enable you to do this. In addition to the mental training, this exercise will stimulate the part of the body concentrated upon, 
for reasons that will appear in future lessons. Change the parts of the body concentrated upon, and thus give the mind a variety of exercises, and the body the effect of a general stimulation. C. These exercises may be extended indefinitely upon familiar objects about you. Remember always that the thing in itself is of no importance, the whole idea being to train the mind to obey the will, so that when you really wish to use the mental forces upon some important object, you may find them well trained and obedient. Do not be tempted to slight this part of the work because it is dry and uninteresting, for it leads up to things that are most interesting and opens a door to a fascinating subject. D. Practice focusing the attention upon some abstract subject, that is, upon some subject of interest that may offer a field for mental exploration. Think about the subject in all its phases and branches, following up one bypath and then another, until you feel that you know all about the subject that your mind has acquired. You will be surprised to find how much more you know about any one thing or subject than you have believed possible. In hidden corners of your mind, you will find some useful or interesting information about the thing in question, and when you are through, you will feel well posted upon it and upon the things connected with it. This exercise will not only help to develop your intellectual powers, but will strengthen your memory and broaden your mind and give you more confidence in yourself. And, in addition, you will have taken a valuable exercise in concentration or tarana. The importance of concentration. Concentration is a focusing of the mind. And this focusing of the mind requires a focusing or bringing to a center of the will. The mind is concentrated because the will is focused upon the object. The mind flows into the mold made by the will. The above exercises are designed not only to accustom the mind to the obedience and direction of the will, but also tend to accustom the will to command. We speak of strengthening the will, when what we really mean is training the mind to obey, and accustoming the will to command. Our will is strong enough, but we do not realize it. The will takes root in the very center of our being, in the I, but our imperfectly developed mind does not recognize this fact. We are like young elephants that do not recognize their own strength, but allow themselves to be mastered by puny drivers whom they could brush aside with a movement. The will is back of all action, all doing, mental and physical. We shall have much to say touching the will in these lessons,
and the student should give the matter his careful attention. Let him look around him, and he will see that the great difference between the men who have stepped forward from the ranks and those who remain huddled up in the crowd consists in determination and will. As Buxton has well said, the longer I live, the more certain I am that the great difference between men, the feeble and the powerful, the great and the insignificant, is energy and invincible determination. And he might have added that the thing behind that energy and invincible determination was will. The writers and thinkers of all ages have recognized the wonderful and transcendent importance of the will. Tennyson sings, O living will, thou shalt endure when all that seems shall suffer shock. Oliver Wendell Holmes says, The seat of the will seems to vary with the organ through which it is manifested, to transport itself to different parts of the brain as we may wish to recall a picture, a phrase, a melody, to throw its force on the muscles or the intellectual processes. Like the general-in-chief, its place is everywhere in the field of action. It is the least like an instrument of any of our faculties, the farthest removed from our conceptions of mechanism and matter as we commonly define them. Holmes was correct in his idea, but faulty in his details. The will does not change its seat, which is always in the center of the ego, but the will forces the mind to all parts and in all directions, and it directs the prana, or vital force, likewise. The will is indeed the general-in-chief, but it does not rush to the various points of action, but sends its messengers and couriers there to carry out its orders. Buxton has said, The will will do anything that can be done in this world, and no talents, no circumstances, no opportunities will make a two-legged creature a man without it. Ike Marvel truly says, Resolve is what makes a man manifest. Not puny resolve, not crude determinations, not errant purpose, but that strong and indefatigable will which treads down difficulties and danger, as a boy treads down the heaving frostland of winter, which kindles his eye and brain with a proud pulse-beat toward the unattainable. Will makes men giants. The great obstacle to the proper use of the will, in the case of the majority of people, is the lack of ability to focus the attention. The yogis clearly understand this point, and many of the Raja Yoga exercises, which are given to the students by the teachers, are designed to overcome this difficulty. Attention is the outward evidence of the will. As a French writer has said, the attention is subject to the superior authority of the ego. I yield it, or I withhold it, as I please. 
are directed in turn to several points. I concentrate it upon each point as long as my will can stand the effort. Professor James has said, The essential achievement of the will, when it is most voluntary, is to attend to a difficult object and hold it fast before the mind. Effort of attention is the essential phenomenon of the will. And Professor Halleck says, The first step toward the development of will lies in the exercise of attention. Ideas grow in distinctness and motor power as we attend to them. If we take two ideas of the same intensity and center the attention upon one, we shall notice how much it grows in power. Professor Sully says, Attention may be roughly defined as the active self-direction of the mind to any object which presents itself at the moment. The word attention is derived from two Latin words, ad tendere, meaning to stretch towards, and this is just what the yogis know it to be. By means of their psychic or clairvoyant sight, they see the thought of the attentive person stretched out toward the object attended to, like a sharp wedge, the point of which is focused upon the object under consideration, the entire force of the thought being concentrated at that point. This is true not only when the person is considering an object, but when he is earnestly impressing his ideas upon another, or upon some task to be accomplished. Attention means reaching the mind out to and focusing it upon something. The trained will exhibits itself in a tenacious attention, and this attention is one of the signs of the trained will. The student must not hastily conclude that this kind of attention is a common faculty among men. On the contrary, it is quite rare, and is seen only among those of strong mentality. Anyone may fasten his attention upon some passing, pleasing thing, but it takes a trained will to fasten it upon some unattractive thing, and hold it there. Of course, the trained occultist is able to throw interest into the most unattractive thing upon which it becomes advisable to focus his attention, but this, in itself, comes with the trained will, and is not the possession of the average man. Voluntary attention is rare, and is found only among strong characters. But it may be cultivated and grown, until he who has scarcely a shade of it today, in time may become a giant. It is all a matter of practice, exercise, and will. It is difficult to say too much in favor of the development of the faculty of tenacious attention. One possessing this developed faculty is able to accomplish far more than even a much brighter man who lacks it. And the best way to train the attention under the direction of the will 
is to practice upon uninteresting objects and ideas, holding them before the mind until they begin to assume an interest. This is difficult at first, but the task soon begins to take on a pleasant aspect, for one finds that his will-power and attention are growing, and he feels himself acquiring a force and power that were lacking before. He realizes that he is growing stronger. Charles Dickens said that the secret of his success consisted in his developing a faculty of throwing his entire attention into whatever he happened to be doing at the moment, and then being able to turn that same degree of attention to the next thing coming before him for consideration. He was like a man behind a great searchlight, which was successively turned upon point after point, illuminating each in turn. The eye is the man behind the light, and the will is the reflector, the light being the attention. This discussion of will and attention may seem somewhat dry to the student, but that is all the more reason that he should attend to it. It is the secret that lies at the basis of the science of Raja Yoga, and the yogi masters have attained a degree of concentration, will, and attention that would be inconceivable to the average man on the street. By reason of this, they are able to direct the mind here and there, outward or inward, with an enormous force. They are able to focus the mind upon a small thing with remarkable intensity, just as the rays of the sun may be focused through a sunglass and caused to ignite linen, or, on the other hand, they are able to send forth the mind with intense energy, illuminating whatever it rests upon, just as happens in the case of the strong electric searchlight with which many of us are familiar. By all means, start in to cultivate the attention and will. Practice on the unpleasant tasks. Do the things that you have before you, and from which you have been shrinking because they were unpleasant. Throw interest into them, and the difficulty will vanish, and you will come out of it much stronger and filled with a new sense of power. Mentrum, affirmation. I have a will. It is my inalienable property and right. I determine to cultivate and develop it by practice and exercise. My mind is obedient to my will. I assert my will over my mind. I am master of my mind and body. I assert my mastery. My will is dynamic, full of force and energy and power. I feel my strength. I am strong. I am forceful. I am vital. I am center of consciousness, energy, strength and power. And I claim my birthright. End of chapter 9